Okay, right, wonderful. Oh, isn't it just lovely to, to just, you know, be together and just praise God? Because, and I, 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 when I was sitting over there, I just thought, wow, this is what the disciples must have felt like when they were together. Because, you know, as you, as you grow as a family, you know, it's, it's just fantastic with the Lord, um, you know, as well. So, um, if you put the PowerPoint on, Jamie. Okay, so I, um, I was going to preach all of this in one, one setting, but when I went through it the other day, I thought, I can't do this in one setting. It's too long. We'll be here for quite a while. Um, so I'm, I've split it up into two parts. And as you know, we're going through the book of Mark, and we're on Mark 1, verse 9. And I've titled it, Who is this man? Because as we know, the Gospels are all about Jesus, all about when he started on, the, on his ministry on earth. So I'm just going to read from chapter, uh, sorry, verse 9 to verse 20. I need my clicker, don't I? Right. Top one. Okay. So it says, one day Jesus came from the Galilean village of Nazareth and had John immerse him in the Jordan River. The moment Jesus rose up out of the water, John saw the heavenly realm split open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. At the same time, a voice spoke from heaven saying, you are my son, my cherished one, and my greatest delight is in you. Immediately after this, he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into an uninhabited desert region. He remained there in the wilderness for 40 days, enduring the ordeals of Satan's tests. He encountered wild animals, but also angels who appeared and ministered to his needs. Later on, after John the, Baptist was arrest, uh, John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom. His message was this, <clears throat> at last the fulfilment of the age has come. It is time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. As Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, he noticed two brothers fishing, Simon and Andrew. He watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea and said to them, Come, follow me, and I will transform you into fishes of men instead of fish. Immediately they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. Walking a little farther, Jesus found two other brothers sitting in a boat along with their father, mending their nets. Their names were Jacob and John and their father Zebedee. Immediately, Sorry, Jesus immediately walked up to them and invited the two brothers to become his followers. Jacob and John dropped their nets, stood up and left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. So we'll just... Uh... So in the next couple of weeks, we will... I, I was going to split all the PowerPoint up, but it was just too much work and I just thought we'll just do it as it is. And so uh, we're going to look at the, um, you know, the start of Jesus' ministry. And I'm going to look in the next two weeks at his identity, his testing and preparation, his following, his authority, his prayer life and his miracles. So we're going to do three uh, this week and three next week. So we start off with Jesus' identity. And the first thing that hits me about this passage is that we see all three of the Godhead together again. The Father speaks in an audible voice from heaven. Jesus is being baptised and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. So they're all there. God himself 
affirmed Jesus to those around him. And what a glorious thing to have been there at that time. A glorious thing to hear the audible voice of God from heaven. And it would have been an an awesome and no doubt frightening thing to hear if you were there and you just didn't know what was going on. And it's a rare thing in the Bible when we read that God speaks audibly from heaven. But this is one of those occasions. No one who was there would be in any doubt that there was something very different about this man. Two things happened to Jesus here. As he came up out of the physical waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And the Father affirmed him by saying, you, you are my son, my cherished one, and my greatest delight is in you. Or the more familiar one would be in the uh, English Standard Version. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What an awesome thing for Jesus to encounter. So what does this incident in the life of Jesus tell us? Well, I think it tells us two things. Jesus was baptised in water, not because he was a sinner, but to identify with sinners and how important it is for us to be baptized in water and when Jesus you know throughout the gospels he says repent and be baptized so water baptism is really important and when we're baptized in water it's symbolic of us dying with Christ being buried with Christ and being resurrected to new life in the spirit we've all well those of us who have been baptised, fully baptised in water and out again. Um, it's an identification Jesus, uh, of, of Jesus dying with Christ, being buried with him and being resurrected to the new life in the spirit. We identify ourselves with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection when we get physically baptised. He identified with us as sinners when he, when he was baptised and we identify him with him when we are baptised in his life, in his death and burial and resurrection. And we studied and we talked more about this when we did our study in the book of Romans because Paul talks more about being buried with Christ, co-resurrected, co-buried. Um, and so we, we, we talked about that earlier on. Secondly, and the, secondly there are various different opinions in all the denominations about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do we need a second baptism in the Holy Spirit or not? Some denominations say you don't need it and they don't walk in it and some denominations say that you do. And I think this passage makes it really, really clear that the question is, if makes the question very clear. If Jesus needed to be baptised in the Holy Spirit which is clearly what happened here when the Holy Spirit descended on him uh, in the form of a dove, then so do we. And so in this church, we very much believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And after this, Jesus started his ministry, his earthly ministry, in power. And we need the power of God to be more effective witnesses for Jesus, especially in our culture and our society today where there are so many distractions and so many paths to choose from. Ultimately, though, there is only one path. 
And there is only one truth, and that is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way back to God. Everything he said is truth, and he is the bringer of eternal life. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings power. And then throughout the rest of this passage, we see confirmation of what, Jesus, of what God had said from heaven of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. We see it when he calls his disciples. We see it when he casts out demons. We see it when he healed the sick. We see it when we, he preached with authority. And every time any of this happened, the disciples knew that he was who he said he was and who God said he was from heaven. And so who do you identify with this morning? Is it Jesus or is it the system's of this world. And so the second one we're going to look at is Jesus' testing and preparation. And it was interesting that uh, Chris this morning, he did, I didn't know he was going to do this, but again, it's this idea of, of God just knitting everything together for our service. Psalm 63 was David when he was in the wilderness. And so notice right after his, his baptism and his affirmation from God that verses 12 and 13 say immediately after this he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into an uninhabited desert region. He remained in the wilderness for 40 days enduring the ordeals of Satan's tests. This is a very, very interesting verse. And sometimes, as we, and we've all had times like this, the Holy Spirit allows us to go into times of wilderness experiences where Satan is allowed to test us. Just as this, the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness to endure the ordeals of Satan's tests. Challenges come into our lives that maybe we never were expecting and again, if God, had allowed if God allowed Jesus to be tested, then he will allow us to be too. In the wilderness of our lives, God speaks to us. He calls us uh, to draw closer to him. We'll get to know him and we grow closer than we have ever done before. Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 8, verse 5 says, Who is that coming up from the wilderness Leaning on her beloved. And it's a really lovely verse. And I've been reading Song of Solomon again in the Passion Translation. And it is just so beautiful. It so beautifully describes our relationship with Jesus. But you see, the wilderness experience, if we let it do its work, is a good thing. And in 2008, uh, you know, I, I went through um, a wilderness experience uh, I'd move, I used to live in Scotland and we moved back down and I was, you know, uh, I was a single mom going through a, through a divorce and, um, and I was, I, it's fair to say I was in a pretty bad place and so God, or Holy Spirit, took me and I won't go into the details of, of how, how I knew it was him um, but he took me through what turned out to be a two-year healing journey and in that time, he drew me closer to him. And, you know, I was in the wilderness. But in the wilderness, there was a lot of emotional healing that I, 
I had, I, there was nobody else involved, I didn't see any counsellors, it was just me and the Holy Spirit. Because um, my kids were young, they used to go to bed fairly early, um, and I used to watch God TV, and God used, uh, you know, various books, and the Bible, obviously, and, and then I would just sit and meditate, and he dealt with me in the wilderness, in that wilderness period of my life, he dealt with so much in my life that was, that was troubling me, that I was broken, um, and it was, you know, looking back on it, it was an incredible uh, experience. It wasn't at the time because of, of the situation that I was in. And when you're in wil- the wilderness experience, it doesn't mean to say that it's all, you know, it, it, sometimes it's really, really challenging. A lot of the time it isn't very pleasant. But it's a, it, you know, it, it's wor- if you want to, to mature in God, he will take you through various wilderness experiences that are different for different people. But uh, nevertheless, it is that it comes out at the same goal. Now, recently, I've been drawn to a Christian classic called um, Hind's Feet on, on High Places. And I didn't know much about this. I thought it was a devotional uh, book. And I downloaded it a, a while back. And I was led back to it very recently. So I'm making my way through it. And it's actually an allegory like Pilgrim's Progress. And the main person is this, this uh, uh, young lady called Much Afraid. And she's lame in her feet. She's not very, not very uh, attractive and full of fear, you know, full of fear. So she's got relatives called the Fearings. She lives in the Valley of Humiliation. And the, her family want her to marry somebody called Craven Fear. And in, the mountain, on, in this valley, she looks up onto the mountains and there's a shepherd who comes down to her. So that's basically, and I'm going to read a little bit out of it. Um, so just bear with me. And it, it's just a lovely story. So I'm going to just start uh, and, and read it. And it says, It was strange and wonderful indeed, thought Much Afraid, that they had reached the river so quickly and they were already approaching the mountains. She's, she's, she's with the shepherd now. Upheld by the shepherd's hand and supported by his strength, she had really forgotten her lameness and had been unconscious by the tiredness or weakness. Oh, if only he would take her the whole way to the mountain places, instead of giving her over to the care of other guides. When she thought of this, she said to him imploringly, Will you not take me all the way? When I am with you, I am strong and I am sure no one, and I am sure no one else but you can get me up to the high places. He looked at her most kindly, but answered quietly, Much afraid, I could do what you wish. I could carry you all the way to the high places myself, instead of leaving you to climb there. But if I did, you would never be able to develop hind's feet and become my companion and go where I go. If you will climb to the heights this once with the companions I have chosen for you. Sorry. Um, I have chosen for you. Even though it may seem a very long and in some places a very difficult journey, I promise you that you will develop hind's feet. Afterwards, you will be able to go with me, leaping on the mountains, and be able to make the ascent and the descent in the twinkling of an eye. Moreover, if I carry you up to the high places now, with only a tiny seed of love in your heart, you will not be able to live in the kingdom of love. You will have to stay outside on places not so high, still within reach of your enemies. Some of them, you know, can visit the lower parts of the mountain. I have no doubt that you will meet them as you make the ascent. That is why I have most carefully chosen for you two of the very best and strongest guides. 
I assure you, however, that never for a moment shall I be beyond your reach or call for help, even when you cannot see me. It is just as though I shall be present with you all the time, even though invisible. And you have my faithful promise that this journey, which you are now to make, will be the means of developing your hind's feet. You will give, you will give me a new name when I get to the top, quavered much, uh, poor Much Afraid, who all of a sudden seemed to have become deaf to the music around her and to be full of fears and forebodings again. Yes, certainly. When the flower of love is ready to bloom in your heart, you will be loved in return and you will receive a new name, replied the shepherd. Much afraid, paused on the bridge and looked back over the way they had come. The valley looked very green and peaceful while the mountains to, to whose foot they had come, had come towered above them like gigantic and threatening ramparts. Far away in the distance, she could see the trees growing around the village of much trembling. And with a sudden pang, she pictured the shepherd's helper going about their happy work, the flocks wandering over the pastures and the peaceful little white cottage in which she'd lived. As these scenes rose before her, tears began to prick in her eyes and the thorn pricked in her heart. But almost at once, she turned to the shepherd and said, thankfully, I will trust you and do whatever you want. Then as she looked up in his face, he smiled more sweetly and said something he had never said before. You have one real beauty, much afraid. You have such trustful eyes. Trust is one of the most beautiful things in the world. When I look at the trust in your eyes, I find you more beautiful to look upon than many a lovely queen. In a very short time, they were over the bridge and had come to the foot of the mountains, where the path began, began the ascent of the lower slopes. Here, great boulders were scattered all around and suddenly, much afraid, saw the figures of two veiled women seated on one of the rocks at the side of the path. As the shepherd and she came up to that place, the two rose and bowed silently to him. Here are the two guides which I promised, said the shepherd quietly. From now on, until you are over the steep and difficult places, they will be your companions and helpers. Much afraid, looked at them fearfully. Certainly they were tall and appeared to be very strong, but why were they veiled? For what reason did they hide their faces? The longer and closer she looked at them, the more she began to dread them. They were so silent, so strong and so mysterious. Why did they not speak? Why give her no friendly word of greeting? Who are they? She whispered to the shepherd. Will you tell me their names and why they don't speak to me? Are they dumb? No, they're not dumb, said the shepherd very quietly, but they speak a new language, much afraid, a dialect of the mountains, which you have not yet learned. But as you travel with them, little by little, you will learn to understand their words. They are good teachers indeed. I have a few I have few better. As for their names, I will tell you them in your own language, and later you will learn what they are called in their own tongue. This, said he, said he, motioning towards the first of the silent figures, is named Sorrow, and the other is her twin sister suffering. Poor much afraid, her cheeks blanched, blanched and she began to tremble from head to foot. She felt, so, she felt so like fainting that she clung to the shepherd for support. I can't go with them, she gasped. I can't, I can't. Oh, my Lord Shepherd, why do you do this to me? How can I travel in their company? It is more than I can bear. You tell me that the mountain way itself is so steep and difficult that I cannot climb it alone. Then why, oh, why must you make sorrow and suffering my companions? Couldn't you have given me joy and peace to go with me, to strengthen me, encourage me and help me on the difficult way? I never thought you would do this to me. And she burst into tears. A strange look passed over the shepherd's face as he listened to this outburst. Then looking at the veils, veiled figures as he spoke, he answered very gently, Joy and peace. Are those the companions you would choose for yourself? 
You remember your promise to accept the helpers that I would give because you believe that I would choose the very best guides for you. Will you still trust me, much afraid? Will you go with them, or do you wish to turn back to the valley and to all your fearing relatives and to Craven fear himself? Much afraid shuddered. The choice, between, the, the choice seemed terrible. Fear she knew only too well, but sorrow and suffering had always seemed to, to her the two most terrifying things she could encounter. How could she go with them and abandon herself to their power and control? It was impossible. Then she looked at the shepherd and suddenly knew she could not doubt him, could not possibly turn back from following him. That if she were unfit and unable to love anyone else in the world, yet in her trembling, miserable little heart, she did love him. Even if he asked the impossible, she could not refuse. She simply, she looked at him piteously, then said, Do I wish to turn back, O shepherd? To whom should I go? In all the world I have no one but you. Help me to follow you, even though it seems impossible. Help me to trust you as much as I long to love you. You see, in the wilderness, God teaches us to trust him, to lean on him. And if we will submit to the process, he will do what he wants to do with us. To make us more malleable, more usable for his purposes. In nature, in the summer, fruit trees yield fruit. But before the fruit, in the spring, comes the flower. And in the spring of our lives, in the wilderness, God will make us beautiful by honing the sharp edges off us by molding us by turning us from a piece of marble so to speak into a beautiful structure because every beautiful structure starts out as a piece of marble and every piece of fruit starts with a flower <coughs> and every trial and testing that God allows us to go through ends with something that will make us beautiful that will glorify him and will bring people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit compelled Jesus into the wilderness to endure the ordeals of Satan. And if you let him or you find yourself in the wilderness and it's your own fault and sometimes that happens to us all, we become very dry. But if we let him do his work in the wilderness, he will do it for us. He will make us beautiful. He will hone off the sharp edges. And if you notice the next verse, it says, He encountered wild animals, but also angels who appeared and ministered to his needs. <coughs> you see, God protected Jesus in the wilderness. He sent angels to minister to his needs. And the wilderness in our lives may not be pleasant, but he will protect us. If we continue to obey him and do what is right in his sight. And so the last one I'm going to do today is Jesus following. And verse 14 to 15 says, Later on, after, Jesus the, after John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom. His message was this, At last the fulfilment of the age has come, it's time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. And still today, 2,000 plus years later, this is the message we should preach. Follow Jesus. He is our only hope in this world and our only hope in the next. You see, the times 
that we are living in are incredibly difficult and that which is to come is going to be incredibly difficult. According to Bible prophecy, uh, you know, it is going to get worse. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible prophecy uh, says. It says there's so much deception about, so much hatred and cruelty and lies. And all of which, as I say, the Bible warns us about. And it warns us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. Which says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centred lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. Now, all that is right means all that the Bible says is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. And I thought about this, and I, I haven't seen it before, but um, social media is, is incredibly... It's good for some stuff, good for some information, but I am on Facebook and I'm also on Twitter. And some of the things I read on, Slitter, on Twitter even is very, very malicious and slandering people. So somebody will post something on Twitter and the comments that you read. And I thought, yeah, this just... This, this could just be social media. They will become addicted to, because um, I don't know if you, those of you, uh, you know, I'm sure we all follow social media at some point, but you can come, become addicted to it, can't you? Especially if you get on YouTube, where you can waste hours of your life. But anyway, they will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander, slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. Um. And, you know, in the media and, and you know, in, in the culture, you know, Christians are persecuted because of our beliefs. Because we believe what the Bible says and what the Bible says is right. Belligerent haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint. Bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of the loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God... But in reality, sorry, but in reality, uh, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. And the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, and we call it the Great Commission, was Matthew 28, 18 to 19. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just as he was at the beginning of our, our, um, uh, our talk today, the, the, the Bible reading. All three of them, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, were present, baptising them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey, to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus calls the first first disciples, Simon, who we later know as, as Peter, Andrew, James, in this translation, and it is the Greek and Hebrew translation, he's called Jacob, but he's translated in English as James. Uh, so his first disciples he called Simon, Andrew, Jacob and John. They leave their business, which would have been quite lucrative, I believe. They would have, I think they would have been commercial uh, fishermen, um, and that would have been quite lucrative in, in, in the days of the Bible. They leave their business, 
They leave their families. They leave everything they knew to follow Jesus. And part of it, part of it, I think, as, as you know, as Chris told us before, was um, Jesus trained as a rabbi. In, you know, between the, the time, uh, you know, when we last saw him in the Bible, the missing years, as they're called, Jesus was trained as a rabbi. And if a rabbi came to call, you know, ca- called you to follow him, it was an incredible honour. And so that would have been part of it. But I think there was something so attractive about Jesus that made him them follow him. They left their families, they left everything they knew to follow Jesus. How many of us would leave everything to follow Jesus. How important is our Christian lives to us today? Is it a priority? Is it the most important thing in our lives? Is Jesus the most important thing in our lives? And when God takes us through a wilderness experience, one of the things it does is it helps you to die to self because not only does he, in a wilderness experience, take you through knocking hard edges off you but he also reveals himself to you in in an incredible way and part of my healing process and my wilderness experience I encountered Jesus in an incredible way and it just made me um it just made it so much easier to make following Jesus a priority because you know and if ever you have been through a cleansing and a purifying from God you'll know what I mean You are ruined for the things of this world. You are ruined for the ordinary. And you can say with John the Baptist, he must become greater and I must become less. And we had a conversation, Chris and I and Gary, after after Alpha the other day. And we were talking just about how wonderful it is to know Jesus and how, you know, the things of earth, as the word says, as it was one of the songs says, will go strangely dim. And we were talking, you know, Gary and Sue have just been on holiday to Madeira. And, you know, they had a great time. But Gary said, I wouldn't, you know, it's just, I wouldn't want to do it all the time. I wouldn't, you know, it never replaces the joy and the blessings of being a Christian and knowing our hope in this world. And it's time to follow Jesus more fully and to point others to him. Because it is incredible, the joy of our salvation, when you know who you are in Christ, when you know, you know, all that you have, as Christians, if you know how wonderful Jesus is and the hope that we have for eternal life. Interestingly, um, there was a question in Alpha on, on Sunday, and on Sunday, on Wednesday, and the question was, what is eternal life? Which I thought was a really interesting question. Uh, and and, and the, the, the person who asked it, he'd been watching something on National Ge- Geographic about transhumanism. Um, which is just, you know, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's just man and machine mingling and, you know, uh, living forever. And, and uh, this person says, I, don't, I wouldn't want to live forever in my body. So what is eternal life? Because transhumanism is, you know, they download your brain. I don't understand it really, but basically you download your brain so that you can, you know, your brain lives forever. Anyway. But he was going, I, I wouldn't want to live, to live forever in this body. That would be hell. What's eternal life? And so I said to him, eternal life is that your spirit, which is already perfect, goes to live with Jesus in heaven. And you sit, you're righteous and you're pure and you're holy and you're perfect. And one day we will all be in heaven. 
and you know and that's something to look forward to that's the hope of our salvation that is just the hope of the gospel message and i thought that this you know this and it's the the uh, um the, oh hang on the, the um this is the passion translation which is not it's a, it's not a, 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 a translation it's a sort of um the spirit. So this. So his message was: at last, the fulfilment of the age has come. It's time for God's kingdom to be experienced in all its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. And so that was a mixture of Greek and Hebrew concepts, but you know, translated like that. And it is just so wonderful, isn't it? Put your trust in the hope-filled gospel, which it is. Which absolutely it is. And it amazes me that the same um, culture, you know, Jesus was talking to that culture and 2,000 years later, and that, you know, our culture has become incredibly hard and incredibly difficult as the Bible said it would be, and it's it's only going to get worse. But for us, it is still the same. That gospel, 2,000 years ago, is still relevant today to us, and that is what we must preach. And we've got, you know, I'm, I'm really loving doing Alpha. I love you know, um, preaching the gospel to people, you know, and, and this is what we must do. The time is so short now that it must be our total aim to preach the gospel, to, to preach, to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people, you know, is our highest calling. And so that's the first part of it. And uh, we just, we just, as I say, just want to exalt Jesus because he's so wonderful and it's good to be reminded, isn't it, of, of the Gospels and just who Jesus was. That's why I've entitled it, Who is This Man? He's absolutely incredible. So next week, we're going to look at uh, his authority, his prayer life and his miracles. And uh, oh, it's just so exciting. I just love it. just love studying the Bible. And so I'm going to, you know... Um, just, I think we should just have a time of, of quietness now where 